0: You can take your seats. I love this time of year. So this morning I want to speak on Christmas expectations. But before I do that, I want to tell you a little story. A lady told her husband that she dreamt that he brought her a diamond necklace for Christmas. The husband responded positively. He brought her a beautiful, beautifully wrapped gift. And she eagerly opened this gift thinking this is it, this is my diamond necklace. And all she found was a book which was titled How to Interpret Your Dreams. (laughs) I don't think I'll be getting um, a diamond necklace this year. Or a book that interprets my dreams. So what difference does Christmas make The Christmas season gets earlier. It officially begun, yeah, according to the shops. It started on November the 1st, the day after Halloween. It starts the Christmas uh, season. Even sooner in some places. I mean, I saw Christmas cards in shops in the summer. To be honest, I love Christmas. So as we move into this season, what are you expecting? What are you looking forward to? Is there anything that you're hopeful about? With that in mind, we're gonna be looking at Christmas expectations. Most often, when it's Christmas time, we're looking forward to the good things. We're hopeful that there will be those magic moments, the family get-togethers, friends coming together, in some way, we envision a painting. These all look like magical moments. A George Bailey reunion, like in its wonderful life. A family having fun with Christmas decorations. Then there's that great family who's really happy to see one another. And Dad showing some love to Mum. But that's not what is always that happens. We end up making a mess of the Christmas tree. To be honest, Paul goes round and adjusts just saw my baubles and I'm not quite sure why. Maybe because they don't look that good. <laughs> and just like the clerk from the 1947 film, we too are exhausted. The hoped-for joy becomes filled with disappointment. The kids have a meltdown because they didn't get the latest toy or game console, but they got socks and underwear. There's Uncle Frank, who always brings up the past hurt. There's Aunt Agnes, who is always angry and makes everyone uncomfortable. There's people walking on eggshells, and you dread the family event. And you even dread Christmas itself. And there's that dreaded gift that says, some assembly required. (laughs) We thought about buying Zion a Lego football stadium, but decided not to when it had over 5,500 pieces and it cost 340 (laughs) pound. So we need to be real about our expectations. Sometimes there's a gap between our expectations and our reality. Sometimes we experience more of a National Lampoon's Christmas vacation. And as a result, we may ask some questions about Christmas, its relevance in our world, wondering where the real hope and joy is to be found. And ultimately, why? Why Christmas? What is it really all about? And these are very real questions and really, they're the cornerstone for Jesus coming into the world. We don't realise that some of the, these questions were being asked at the very first Christmas. Things didn't necessarily go according to plan for Mary and Joseph. We think of them smiling and filled with joy. And they were. But maybe they expected to be at Bethlehem Hospital, not in a barn with animals all around them or some of the kids described it with very pooey barn (laughs) so what difference does Christmas make what's the real and true difference that God offers us to start to answer that I want to look at the story of Mary as she visited her cousin Elizabeth we see this young teenage girl who is pregnant and not married, and Mary sings a song that is called the Magnificat. And that, the Latin translation for that is magnifies, which is how Mary starts this song. In this passage, Mary shows us a few things. Firstly, she speaks about a very personal God. Listen to the first four verses. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in my God, my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of this servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Isn't it amazing what Mary is saying? She's an unwed, pregnant teenager with a bizarre story. It could be a new reality TV show. And here she is, praising God for choosing her. And this sounds real and authentic. This is praise coming from deep down in her soul. She pours out her heart, giving thanks to God. I'm not really sure that many of us would have felt like Mary did. Mary's a nobody. She's a woman, she's not married, and she's pregnant. That wasn't something you wanted in those days. People knew enough about the birds and bees that Mary couldn't just say, hey, good news, I'm pregnant. But don't worry, no man was involved. That sounds crazy. Sounds crazy today. And it had to be ridiculous then. Would you believe a teenager with that kind of story? Mary was fully aware of her place in the world. She's an unwed, engaged, pregnant teenage girl living in the sticks of Nazareth. And she's got some crazy story about how she got pregnant. Yet Mary was told by the angel Gabriel she would be the mother to the son of God. He was the one all Jews had been looking forward to. He would be the king of kings, a mighty ruler, a warrior and a high priest. With that in mind, Mary recognises that God was doing great things for her, even though she was undeserving of it even though she couldn't understand it and there wasn't any reason why she should expect it that's why she praised god from the depths of her soul she proclaims god has done great things for her people will call her blessed you know don't you god is doing that for you too he's doing great things for you in fact God has done that for you in sending Jesus, even though, like Mary, we are undeserving. We don't always understand it, and there isn't any reason why we would expect it. You see, we see something in Mary that's so important for us to hold on to during this season, but not just in December, but throughout the year. Jesus coming into the world for her was deeply personal. That's kind of obvious. She was the mum of the saviour, but Christ's coming is also deeply personal for each one of us. When we think about Christmas, it's not just some holiday season where we eat more, party more, become a Scrooge and get away with it, have days off work, Christmas needs to be deeply personal for us as well. God, the Father, sent Jesus into the world for each one of us. You're not some nameless, faceless fluke of creation. God sent his son for me and for you. You were created with a purpose in mind. God has got big plans for you, whether you know it or believe it or not you were created in his image in his likeness and just like he did at creation he saw you as a baby boy or a baby girl and he said this is so good when we see an experience Christ we personally experience him coming into the world as our redeemer and sustainer we must believe and trust that this is personal That it's for me. It is the creator of the universe coming here for me and for you. And when we say yes to Jesus, we become God's son or daughter. It's through faith in the one whom he sent for us. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. That's God's promise to you and to me. A deeply personal gift for us. And this makes Christmas deeply personal for each one of us. So join in with Mary to praise God during this Christmas time because he has personally extended himself to you in sending Jesus. Thank him because he's, he's initiated something none of us deserved or earned. Welcome him in because he is God not merely some celebrity or some hero. He's come to you through Christ. Magnify God in that you show him bigger and more significant in your life and in this world by prioritising what he thinks, what he likes and how he would have us live. Because the greatest one has come to you through no effort of your own. Christmas makes a difference because God has personally extended himself to us in sending Jesus. But Mary doesn't stop there for all that long, though it's a profound place to sit. She continues singing and moves to a chorus of the global implications of Christ's coming. The next thing Mary says in her song is about the world in Luke 1:50 50 to 53, says, "His mercy extends to those who fear Him. From generation to generation, He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their throne, but has lifted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty." Do you hear what Mary's saying? There's a worldview that God had in mind, and Mary picked up on that. Not bad for a young teenager. God plans a dramatically change to the world with the coming of his son. There's all kinds of thoughts and movements in this cosmic drama which are going to play out there will be the extension of God's mercy to those who fear God. That mercy is found in Jesus. Remember, this type of fear isn't about being afraid, afraid that God's going to smite you, but it's a reverence for God. It's holding God above everything in your life. It's the holy worship of God. It's knowing that God is sovereign and not me that's something that would make the world better just knowing that just trusting that and when you have that reverence you receive God's mercy not just Mary but the world has that opportunity as well have you got that reverence for God now look at the last verse which bookends the good news for us Those who are hungry will be filled. When you're spiritually hungry and seek God, you will find him. He will not hide from you. He will fill you with good things. So with the coming of Christ, God shows his strength in bringing the the low and hungry to be high and filled. And he extends his mercy to all, to all those who embrace him as Lord and Saviour. Yet on the other hand, Mary sings something totally outrageous. She sees how God is going to extend his arm, not just to help the hungry and the downtrodden, but how God is going to confront the arrogant, the proud, those who sit on their thrones. Listen again to her words. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. To these people, God's strength comes against them to send them away empty-handed. Mary believes that with Christ's coming, God shows his strength in confronting the powerful and the self-sufficient rich to overthrow and empty them. I read that this song was banned in the 1980s from being read in public in Guatemala because it was considered politically subservice. Can you imagine that? A Christmas song that was banned for threatening the powers that be. That's crazy, isn't it? Yet, consider the immediate audience for Mary. What do you think King Herod would think? Remember, he's neurotic, crazed, scared, and the power-hungry king of Israel. When he heard Jesus was born in Bethlehem, what did he do? He wanted Jesus killed. When that failed, he slaughtered all boys younger than two years old in that whole area. Herod would have gone crazy with Mary, saying his rule was as good as over. And if that's how Herod would react, then how do you think his king and superior, Caesar Augustus, would react? That was treason. It was the grounds for death. And it's what the Romans used to crucify Jesus. Something to understand about her song. Mary sings in the past tense. She wants us to see that what God has declared is as good as done. This isn't hopeful dreaming, it's an expectation of God's reality in our world. It's how God views the world. With Christ coming, she sings that God's justice has begun. In her eyes, this is a foregone conclusion. The humble will be lifted up, the hungry will be fed, the proud will be brought down, even those on thrones and the rich will be emptied. So why is this true with Christ coming? God sent Jesus so that he would be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He came as a king who would use his authority to lay down his life on a cross. In this way, Jesus paid the penalty for our sinfulness so that God's justice would not come against us. That's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It was Christ who would sacrifice for our sins. We would be made righteous before God even though we were not because Christ is the one and only righteous one. Now we could experience God's peace and grace. In the final two verses, Mary sings, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to, sorry, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary ends with words of national importance the Jewish people would hear these words from Mary and celebrate. They would know that God will bring mercy to the people of Israel. Just as God spoke to their fathers, to Abraham and to his children, Isaac and Jacob, God will also speak to the people of Israel for this generation. God had always promised the Messiah would come. The people held on to those words. They were expectant that the Messiah was coming. Yet when he came, they didn't believe it. Jesus' birth didn't come at some random time. It was planned out by God. He knew what was happening and how it was happening. Mary sang for joy about a God who is magnificent. The birth of Jesus wasn't the unlikely fulfilment of a bunch of coincidences that some random people wishfully spoke hundreds of years before. Jesus' coming was a matter of God fulfilling his long-standing promise to his people. And when we experience Christ coming at Christmas, it means God is fulfilling his promises. I'm going to get the band to come back up. All those promises God has made to us through Christ. That promise of forgiveness by receiving Christ. That promise that he'll never leave us or forsake us. That promise of life with God now, today. And that promise that God will take our hands and lead us into eternity with him. We know that is true because God is a God of his word. So we follow her lead at this Christmas and praise God during this Christmas time, because in sending Christ, God has fulfilled his promise to us. You may be looking for that great Norman Rockwell Christmas, and I hope you get it. I hope I do. But whether we do or not, our Christmas expectations shouldn't be diminished because God has fulfilled his promise to each one of us. He has sent his son for you and for me because he loves you. If you don't know him today, we can change that right now, right here. Here's what you need to do. First, you need to admit. Admit that God has not had first place in your life and that you have sinned. In 1 John 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Secondly, you have to believe. Believe that Jesus died for your sins. Romans 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Accept, accept God's free gift of salvation. Ephesians two verses eight and nine. It says, "For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves; it's the gift of God, not by works, so that anyone can boast." and then you need to invite. Invite Jesus to come into your life and take control. John 1 verses 12 and 13 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a human husband's will, but born of God. Christ has come to give you hope. Christmas hope. That's worth celebrating this Christmas. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you've come to give each one of us hope this year. And Lord, I pray for everyone, everyone under the sound of my voice, Lord, that they'll have that hope this Christmas time, that they'll know that deep reverence for God, that they'll have that that praise for God that comes from deep within.